Hey, potential podcast listeners, let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in discreet packaging. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. These results are reviewed by a clinician, and a member of the Let's Get Checked nursing team may call you to review your results. And Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. So, if you want to avoid an uncomfortable office visit or prefer the convenience and get tested at home, visit trylgc.com potential and get 25% off your test using code POTENTIAL25. Once again, that's 25% off your test by going to trylgc.com potential using the promo code POTENTIAL25. Take charge of your physical health and well-being, and let's get checked. This episode is a sponsored partnership by Keen. So, you finally decided that you want to seek psychic advice. But now you're just sitting there and you're asking yourself, why Keen? Shouldn't I just look into psychics near me? It would probably be a lot easier. Our response... Why would you? Keen connects you with talented tarot readers and astrologers. If you want to get a reading on Keen, it's super easy to start. They've been giving trustworthy readings since 1999, over 35 million to be exact. All you have to do is create an account, and you'll be able to choose from hundreds of readers who are online right now. These readers each have unique specialties designed to provide a deeper understanding of your situation. Want to learn more about your love life? What's your financial future look like? Are you looking for a closure from a deceased loved one? Keen has a reader ready to provide clarity and insight. You can choose whichever reader best suits your needs, and you'll be able to connect via phone call or text. Just go to trykeen.com potential. As a new customer on Keen, you can try your first 10 minutes for only $1.99, which is up to $99 in savings. Once again, that's trykeen.com slash potential. Get your first 10 minutes for $1.99. And remember, know your potential. Talking all things entertainment, pop culture, and nerdum. this is The Potential Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Potential Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Dewar, and I'm joined by my co-host and fellow Jedi Knight, Taylor Sokol. How you been doing, Taylor? You know, I've been doing well, but more importantly, how are you doing, Chris? Well, gosh, this month has already flown by. Here we are at the end of May. It seems like uh, it's just moving right along. And what a big month, man. We had, I mean, Doctor Strange. We had Moon Knight ending. And now we got Stranger Things finally coming back after three years. We've been waiting so long for this fourth season. I know. And we are finally getting the Obi-Wan series this week. I think, man, we are 
we are so excited for what's funny enough is to think about the prequel series which uh i think for a lot of fans now a lot of people you know especially our age that was as we talked about last season those movies were the star wars of our youth so we connect with them so well and ewan mcgregor man he was so good as obi-wan uh that we're so excited to see the little kind of hidden chapters that we haven't seen that uh, take place between episode three and four, you know? He was a gem for sure, yeah. If you're going to, you know, if you're looking for a bright spot, he was definitely one of them. So it's kind of crazy to think that he's uh, aged into the role uh, almost, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's not often you get to play a character for so long. And I think we, we're seeing this amazing turn when all these series, you know, actors and actresses are coming back to, you know, play a role. It's kind of funny how he's kind of aging into the role and you get like, Ian McDermott, who played Palpatine when he was younger, and then he played him when he was younger and he was older. So now he's crazy. Now, now he's finally aging into the proper age of the Emperor. Yeah. Uh, who, who is, you know, he actually probably, if you, if you kind of think about episode two for a second and episode three, he probably was only really like mid-50s. Then uh, he got charred so bad, but uh, we're not here to talk about ages of characters. But it is funny to think about that, though, in that, you know, we had the sequel trilogy, and we were watching three of our original stars from the original franchise come back. Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill come back to reprise their roles from the original trilogy. And realistically, for many fans out there, the original trilogy still holds up as their ultimate favorite version of Star Wars. The ultimate characters, the, the way that it was filmed, the special effects of the time, many of which are practical, and the ultimate story. And you know what? Well, Taylor, we did the first season. We talked about the sequel trilogy. Season two, we did the prequel trilogy. And this week, we're getting the 45th anniversary of Star Wars coming to the big screen for the first time. Now it's been dubbed A New Hope. It's episode four. But then it was just Star Wars, a movie called Star Wars that took the world by storm and blew everyone away. And man, look at the franchise now. It is crazy. So we thought, man, we got to talk about it. But Taylor, we're not going to do it alone, are we? No, I mean, you had said that you you were thinking about it, but I, I insisted we definitely don't do this alone because we've got to have, if, if any of these episodes we're going to have a reoccurring guest, uh, it's going to be our, you know, expert in the field, you know, our go-to uh, uh, master of the uh, Star Wars arts. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's, a, he's a great person to have around and uh, one of you, you know, you're a good friend and now my great friend uh, as well. Uh, Tim Fitzsimons, back again. And uh, we're so happy to have him on the podcast. Welcome back to another Star Wars episode, Tim, and thanks for joining us. Hello there. Yeah, thanks for having me back, guys. <laughs> great to be here. I feel like you do that every time. It just well, gonna be like... <laughs> it's proper. It's yeah. proper by now to... Uh... You know, I you were saying earlier, I, you know, I got the beard nice and trim like you and McGregor, so I figured, hey, I might as well channel him as much as possible. Well, you did a great job on one of our cover arts, as we like to do on our, our episode cover art. We try to put ourselves in there. And your Obi-Wan was just great because you had, you had the robe and you were you were like ready to – it was perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah. that And, and uh, the, the edits to make it even more perfect on that, I think that was Chris, right? He did those edits. Oh, yeah. He's, oh, yeah. Our, he's our master of the, uh, of the artwork. It's fun. You know, I think that it, cosplay is a big thing, and so that's kind of our little uh, – our little form to kind of put us into the movies we love so much. But I think when a lot of people think about star Wars and they think of what is the first thing you saw, what's the first thing you remember 
for many people, the general population who has ever watched Star Wars, whether they were born in the time of when they first came out, the time of the prequels, the time of now the sequels, for most people, the first movie they've ever seen or are definitely recommended to see, to start with how they were released, would be Star Wars redubbed Episode Four: A New Hope. It's going to be hard for me to really try and remember the first time I saw Star Wars, but I definitely remember that I did see all three of the original trilogy pre-seeing Phantom Menace. So it wasn't like it wasn't like Phantom Menace was my first Star Wars movie. So somewhere in my youth was where this journey started, when I really got into Star Wars. And I think that's for a lot of kids out there. The magic of why this franchise holds up so well is there's something that we connect to with the original trilogy that we don't have with other stories. And it's something about like that time era of the 70s and the 80s where a lot of things were practical. It was puppetry and you know little tiny models and doing what they could to create these vast immersive worlds that really felt like you were watching this space opera that was, you know, in a galaxy far, far away. It felt like a different time, even though we connected with it in a different way. So Tim, as our special Star Wars guest back here on the podcast, what are your earliest memories of Star Wars pertaining to the original trilogy? So, um, similar to you, Chris, I actually don't remember the very first time i I watched these movies. I just always remember them being part of my life. We had the original trilogy on VHS. Um, full, it was the full screen version. Had that three part interview, you know, before the movie started uh, with George Lucas. Um, so, I, but it was interesting. I actually I saw my sister recently, and I asked her, "Do you remember the first time you saw Star Wars, or that we watched it?" And she said she she remembered that we had to watch the first mo- movie over two nights. Because I guess I, you know, I was young enough that I had to go to bed before we finished the first movie. Go fall asleep. He's like, sorry, it's bedtime. We got to, we got to, we got to cut it here. It's, it's bedtime. You know, I'm like three, three or four, you know, it's, we, it's time for We bed. fit Simons over here. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure like I connected you on that. I'm sure there was a time where Star Wars was on and didn't make it through. And, uh, you know, when you fall asleep in front of the TV and then magically the next morning, you're somehow in your bed because mom or dad picked you up and put you there. Um, I definitely connect with you on that. <laughs> yeah. So um, my, my earliest memory of Star uh, of watching Star Wars was we were visit we were on some road trip, and we ha- were visiting some friends of ours. And the dad, like we, my sister and I were watching Episode Five with the other kids, and the other and the dad was like imitating Yoda and playing around with us during the movie. That's like my earliest memory that I can recall of Star Wars. Um, so it's just been part of my life that and, you know, being able to go to Disneyland and go on star tours all the time I had, you know, like the, I had some, you know, like little visual dictionaries and all that stuff. Star Wars has just been in my life for so long. and I've been obsessed with it for so long. <laughs> what about you, Taylor? I think the same thing with you guys, but I do distinctly remember I, cause I, I think I've gone back and forth the story, but I did re- see them when, I think we all do remember when they re-released the special editions of them in theaters in the um, late 90s. But I remember the first VHS like trilogy set I had, because I remember you had the profile of Darth Vader on the one, was the first one. Then you had the Stormtrooper for Empire Strikes Back, and then you had Yoda. So I just remember the VHS and how I remember um, that that was a, a big part of escapism for me, because actually... Um, 
my um, my real father, um, you know, he, it's he's not really been a huge part of my life. And I do remember when I was younger, I'd go over. Didn't have a lot to to do, or you know, I remember I had some of my Star Wars action figures and stuff, and I was allowed to keep them there. It was it's a whole thing. But I remember distinctly that, that of the movies he had there, that was what I really gravitated towards. And it was just I just remember I just really got lost in that and would watch maybe the first one over and over again. And um, uh, and I do yeah, it was funny you were saying you remember like the behind the scenes thing, and I just uh, you know yeah George Lucas and um, you know he's getting he you know going at that, and I just was just I remember just how glued to it was in the screen, and that like any film I could I could just go back and watch it over again, and I still get excited to go back because I always noticed something new. I kind of looked at this and like. And then obviously we'll go into this, but going back and seeing them again, then I pick up little things and I see things in them that probably weren't intended because you look at 45 years later of all this backstory, expanding universe, religion, whatever, fan fiction, that, uh, you know, there's so much you could infer. But yeah, I just remember that, that what that was like the biggest part of my childlike wonderment that I still like can can gravitate towards. And I remember that VHS tip. I remember. It's one thing that I feel like if we had a time machine and could go back in time, there would be something really appealing about going to 1977 and seeing what it was like for the mania that this franchise did. Because I think the hard part now is we're now, you know, all in our thirties. We've seen every film. We've seen multiple spinoffs. There's been animated series. Now we're getting these original live shows on Disney plus there's video games and books and, yeah, theme park attractions. There's just so much that has evolved from this. But to go back and like think of a time where like when we were kids for the first time watching the first film and not knowing anything, not knowing what was the story, who are these characters, not knowing that, you know, I'm not saying spoiler alert because uh, these movies have been out for so long. And by now, if you don't know that Darth Vader's Luke's father, I don't know. Yeah, shock. But, you know, think about like there's so many plot points that evolved from the first film that imagine a time where no one knew any of this. And it was literally you were on your edge of your seat, like watching this and not even expecting that three years later, there would be a sequel and then another sequel. And then that would take off. So I, that, that's crazy to me to think of, like, what if we never knew any of, of Star Wars, if we could, like, wipe that from our brain and start over? I think for many people, they would have been completely, their mind would have been blown as for most fans it was. This movie was, you know, if you look at it, there's such a great, that that long documentary they had, the, um, uh, what's it called? Empire or something uh, like Empire that? Empire of uh, Dreams. Empire yeah. of Dreams. To yeah. think that like this film and this time era, because sci-fi wasn't really taken very seriously. Um, it was a little more on the jokey side. You know, you had the Star Trek stuff going on. Yeah, before that you had the B sci-fi, you know, like, Flash Aliens Gordon, you know, down, you know, uh, the day of the earth. Had yeah. And the, and the most popular sci science fiction movie up to that point was still um, 2001, you know, and in, in, in 2001 paints a very different picture of what space is like. And actually re I was reading recently that even to this day, a lot of film critics and <clears throat> um, astronauts and scientists still point to 2001 as being fairly accurate with how things actually were going to end up progressing um, and depicting space travel, but up until nine, you know, to the 1970s, yeah, you're right. All we had were it was like, you know, 2001, and then we had, you know, the, you know, Star Trek, which had moments of seriousness, but, but you also had, you know, 
you had William Shatner, uh, for lack of a better explanation. So it makes it, which makes Star Trek, even though it was groundbreaking in what it, I mean, without Star Trek, you don't get Star Wars. And then without the Star Wars movies, you don't get the rest of Star Trek as we now know it with the rest of its series that uh, have popped up over the years. Um, so it was really filling a void. It was filling this vacuum of trying to, not trying to take those old serials that kids loved of the Flash Gordons, Buck Rogers, and those old cartoon strips and episodics, but bringing it into a new era that can appeal not just to kids, but is, you know, to a point serious enough for adults to get into as well, as well as just completely revolutionizing the way we make movies. Yeah, which is just a big feat for someone that at that point had only made one full feature. Um, that's we kind of the brilliant thing. Kind of the brilliant thing of that. Two, he made two. Well, Teacher, eleven thirty-eight. Okay, well, American I don't count. Graffiti. I don't count that a feature. That was short, wasn't it? No, no, no. He did a short in college that got expanded to a full feature. Okay, yeah. Oh, I never didn't knew get that. Released until it got didn't get released until after American Graffiti. Robert Duvall was in. Um, I think Robert Duvall and Donald Pleasance are in THX eleven thirty-eight. Um, it's it is a weird movie. It, don't get me wrong. I I sat down and watched it in college. It's a weird movie. But he had made it a full length film that wasn't going to be released. Then after American Graffiti got released, uh, finally see, see. They, there was a deal in place that got THX out there. And then he did Star Wars. You think about directors then, like you know that not knowing now and like where directors are at these days, like you need to get a little couple more credits, or if you get this feature it's because nobody else wanted it and it just kind of fell in your lap. Well, that's what, that's what I think about Star Wars is you look at the history, so many studios were like, nope, don't want it. <laughs> Pass. Nope. And just the fact that this guy took a chance on it at Fox. And Alan Ladd Jr. We owe, owe a lot to that man. <laughs> and to think that the brilliance of Lucas being like, well, um, I want to have it written in my contract that I, I, I want to do, you know, there's not just this one story. And then the merchandise. <laughs> the fact yeah. that George Lucas was smart enough to be like, well, I want rights to the merchandise. And no one thought this was going to be a hit. Yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever, kid. Fine. And oh, was he smart enough to do that? Because, well, now the man's sitting on $4.4 billion from Disney to have bought this whole franchise. So crazy. But, man, thinking of that first movie, I think something that's so, so cool about Star Wars, why I think it's it's always hit with me more than like star trek or like other sci-fi properties is that it's it is sci-fi because it's set in space and like there is space elements there's droids there's you know these giant vast planets that have these huge cities that are like way more advanced than anything we have you know currently on earth but the fantasy element it is a space opera we're watching knights of the round table with lightsabers we're watching this, what we're have western bar shootouts you yeah know, this it's very shakespearean drama told through the lens of a sci-fi epic and i don't think another franchise has really done that now yes recently we've had a huge new look at frank herbert's dune with the new movies coming out and after rereading that book and getting a little more invested back into that world you can see that there was a lot of stuff that Lucas was inspired by and it wasn't just like he it's not like he borrowed from just one source I think there was the you know the serials of that time he he looks at the hero's journey he looks at samurai culture for the Jedi there was a lot that he took that to, to 
put into this one franchise that of course has gone even bigger and crazier but it has those tropes you know we have the we have our hero character we have the female lead the the, the damsel in distress who's not really in distress we have the rogue we have the villain like there's so much you're like we have the old mentor that you know eventually passes and then they become the master there's so many things that i'm like it was smart the way he developed everything that it was kind of surprising you think nowadays you're like why would anyone would have passed on this, but they didn't know there was going to be such a hit. I, I think because they took it at face value and you're right. You, you hit it out of the park, Chris. And I know Tim, you, you're going to, you're on a good point. You always do. What also, this is what I find really great about the first movie is that it is really just going back. And I, I want, we, we all, uh, for the record, anyone, everyone listening to this, I'm assuming everything, everyone, because we've got a lot of fans out there, but everyone listening to this right now, um, we all try to get a deep dive and go back and kind of refresh your course. I didn't make it because just, you know, timing and stuff. But I've seen it enough times that I know. But I remember, you know, watching this, it is such an easy story to follow. And the great thing about it is the idea of the credits was really so smart because it's like half the time in some of these movies, you got like 30 minutes to explain everything to me. Whereas some of these movies, like, you know, for, for instance, like you've got, you know, like Dune, great film and everything, but there's a lot going on where this one, it's very easy to follow right in the thick of it. And it puts you, it put you right in the action. Like it's still great to watch that first opening space battle. And these, you know, soldiers are getting slaughtered by these stormtroopers. And it's just, it's so great. Cause like, okay, I know what's going on. I'm following this. Okay. This guy's bad. You know, we, we don't know what's going on, but I'm following it pretty well. And I think that was really great that it was easy to follow even if you're a kid or an adult so it appealed to both senses you know oh yeah i agree with both of you on those points and chris brought it up and part of the reason why it's such an easy story to follow is it's it's the hero's journey i know a lot a lot of people point to you know george was like oh all he did was rip off the hero's journey well so is like every single fantasy (laughs) story in the world yeah (laughs) so it's a there's a reason why it's a trope and why why these um, creators, these filmmakers, these authors, they keep going back to it because everyone understands the story. So you can make your little, you make, you know, little changes on it that fit your story, but you're able to create a world around that and help develop that story. So, you know, in rewatching, I did, you know, I re in rewatching this time through, I have, uh, I was able to get a hold of something called the despecialized editions uh, a bunch of years back, which basically, was a project that somebody did that took, uh, you know, from all the sources available, tried to make a Blu-ray quality version of the original theatrical cut, what you would have seen watching it sitting in that theater in May, 1977. And so sitting and sitting through that and seeing like what it would have been like there, you know, this, your, the simplicity of, there were just there were moments of silence. There's moments, there's moments to breathe, which a lot of times movies, there are some movies today that like just don't give you time to breathe. You're just going so quickly the entire time. And there's so much going on that, you know, there were times when it was like, it's only a two hour movie, but you had time to breathe. You had time to let things. It doesn't feel in. like you a did. two hour movie though. In those moments. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, fe- it feels like it, it almost feels like it's longer and yet feels shorter because you're drawn into it because there's all these times that, I keep saying breathe, but it gives you time to breathe and take everything in. And you get to know these characters. You get to know Luke and and Han and Obi-Wan and Leia as you're going through. And as each one is introduced, it's like a perfect introduction that immediately brings you to who they are as a character. But they still have that, that, that change 
that character arc for themselves in this movie and then leading on to the next. Um, and it's just, I don't know what else to say in that regard. It's just, it's just so thought out. It's funny you bring that up um, about the despecialized versions. So you're talking about the original theatrical release. It's just interesting to see that all the different versions, not just the George Lucas versions. And now we've got the D- Disney version because Disney tinkered a little bit with stuff. Uh, here's looking at you, Kirk Clunky. Um, and um, <laughs> I just watched it today. I'm like, what was that? Okay. Greedo makes this weird noise and I hadn't seen it yet. And it was just like, but um, there was a uh, clunky. Yeah. Clunky. I'm like, what was that? You sneeze? It was tight. Harrison is like, sorry, I sneeze. And I shot, shot you first. <laughs> who no, sneezed but, first? Yeah. Who sneezed first? <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I, what I thought was really interesting is that there has been a lot of these fan-made versions that I went back and watched. There was this one guy, I don't know who he did, but he did every a bit of the trilogy ones, and he added stuff in. I don't know how he did it, but he had, like, for example, he had one where it was, like, they're, you know, they're on the Sandcrawler. He had, like, a battleship droid head, you know, like, and it all looked, like, really cool. Like, some of the stuff that he added, like, he made this, he expanded the space battles, made them a little bit more, um little mutt so it was stuff like that but it's it's goes to show there's no other series that has you know that love of fandom that i just love that how many different versions of these films that you can find particularly the first one well it's weird to me though is the fact that lucas the reason why he went back and wanted to add things in when he was working on getting ready to start the prequels is because there was things that he was like i feel like i didn't have the i didn't have the the money or didn't have the tools to do xyz so i want to put them in to kind of finish my ultimate vision of what the original trilogy was going to be. Well, the problem with it, 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 it stands out in a weird way when you're watching it because it's still that CGI from like 1997 and everything is so like all the stuff that they built, the sets, the the droids, everything. It's too realistic. It's so realistic looking that when all of a sudden you're like, Oh, that's clearly a CGI stormtrooper on this alien looking and tattooing you're just like we didn't need any of that um and that's something where i i would be interested to watch like um like more of the original cut to be like what was you know because some of the special effects that they did with especially with the the models uh some of the use that they use with lighting and set building it just it really captures you into the world you're like most of that first movie you have a good chunk on tattooing you have a good chunk on planets and I mean, on, uh, on spaceships of different kinds. That's really about it. There's a little bit in Yavin there. So it's very practical in, in that sense. And it does like now when you watch Disney plus, yeah, you're like, Oh, that's right. They added in that random two second shot because Lucas was like, well, I, uh, I need, uh, I need to have CGI there. <laughs> For example, like Jabba the Hutt, Jabba the Hutt has gone through so much. It's like, it got worse oh. and worse to me. Like, the, I love seeing the deleted scenes. The original was this little Scottish actor. And he was like, What's like Scottish guy. I really wish they had that guy's like, Han, Han, my boy. Like, <laughs> cause then it's so weird when uh, Han says, Jabba, you're a wonderful human being. He's not a human being. It, like, you know, it, it does stand out in a weird way. Like Chris said, you, you captured it perfectly. It's almost like too distracting. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, so I, it was interesting. I, as I'm sitting here watching these despecialized, I have not watched, I had not watched these all the way through um, in a long time or really ever. And so the last time I really saw a theatrical cut of these movies was watching those original VHSs probably 
at least 20 years ago because the DVD, I think the DVD release came out in 2004, the original DVDs. And from that point on, I, it was like, why watch VHS? I have DVD and widescreen instead of full screen. Let's go that. Um, but in watching the, the, the specialized and seeing, and, and, and then like going back and kind of comparing a couple of scenes of, you know, what, what had been updated, what hadn't been, I have come to a very different opinion about the updates that George Lucas has done. When it comes to updating the CGI or adding more flavor to like, you know, when he's, when they're riding through Tatooine um, in, in the land speeder and having a slightly larger shot of seeing the life there, having a couple more, sh you know, speeders go by, seeing the Millennium Falcon, like take off from above and kind of, kind of wobble around, get its bearings and then take off versus just shooting up. There are actually a lot of those update updates that I am now completely fine with because they enhance the viewing experience. It's, you know, there, you know, the shots when you're, when the fleet is taking off from Yavin 4 to go after the Death Star in the original version, you see the guy in the tower looking at over the, out over the trees and you see like lights just kind of shooting off in the distance. And, and then as everyone knows in the, in the special editions and on, you then had the full CGI um, X-wings kind of like come out of the trees right in front of you, twist around. And then and when they get off. into when they get into space, you can see their heads like turning around in their cockpits. How cool that was! So all of those things that enhanced those scenes, I am now fully on board, totally fine. Lu Lucas, with you on this, even even swapping out the Emperor in Episode Five with bringing Ian McDermott in because in 1980 or the late 1970s, into when and then 80 when Empire was released. Ian McDermott hadn't been cast yet. So they used, I think, somebody's somebody's wife with somebody with some guy's voice and chimpanzee's eyes like super superficially added to her eyes. And that was the emperor. But then adding Ian McDermott in, kind of adjusting a line here or there, everything makes sense. The things that George Lucas should not have done was the job of the hut scene switching out who shot first Han or Greedo because the other thing I was just saying to my neighbor today the problem with adding that job of the hut scene besides the fact that you had a great way of introducing him in Return of the Jedi you just kind of like mention he's on your tail mention he's chasing after you and then he actually gets you in the end and you see who this guy is with by introducing him in episode four, not only do you have a very lackluster introduction to him that is essentially the exact same dialogue that Han just had with Greedo. So you're having lines repeated. You get a random view of, okay, cool. There's Boba Fett. All right, he's around. But it all, but it, ru but it ruins the introduction of the Millennium Falcon. Because the, in the first time you see it is when it pans up and then Luke says, what a piece of junk. But you see it when Jabba's like, Solo, Solo, Avalubaka yeah. Solo. <laughs> and, and, and you're like, okay, so that's your shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. and he, wa and he yeah. walks around on the head and steps on, step on his tail. tail. And that weird CG. So, so adding things like that, not a fan of It's those moments. It's also, it's it's the random creatures that we don't need um, popping up. And those are the things that, I, like, I did notice. I was, like, watching more of, um, I got through Empire, and then um, I just got to, I was almost done with the Return of the Jedi, but didn't make it for this recording, but... I do agree. It's the spaceships that really were a great addition because 
they look so polished and it look and especially like that those were just models or things they could use to make those they weren't like you know they didn't have cgi at the time so it kind of makes sense to enhance it and doesn't feel like it's out of place because it's like already in space it's not like there's not a realistic set next to them. Well, because of the lighting too, because it is like in a space. So I think that, you know, changed it, the backdrop. So yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and that was, I think the most issues of the updates was probably the first one. If, if we're going to be honest in terms of, you know, changes. Yeah. I think, I think episode four had the most changes out of the three. It makes sense because you have to remember too, the budget that they had for a new hope at the time was X amount. Then the movie became such a big hit. So you can really tell when you get an empire, how much more money they had overall, just for like the series, because I mean, just doing my rewatch something that I, I mean, there's something about Tatooine that even though we go back to Tatooine so often, but I understand why there's a lot of storytelling there. And there is that, you know, as we talk about often on the podcast, Sins of the Father, we go back to see Anakin's story, you know, in the prequels. But, you know, this is where Luke is. This is where Luke's safety is. This is where he grows up. Obi-Wan's there watching because over him. there's a him. lot of sand. There's a lot of and sand, Darth right? Vader don't like the sand. But the one thing I was really looking at, like, <laughs> watching today and, and yesterday as I was watching these, like, thinking, like, you go from mostly a sand planet. Again, there's a lot of scenes on the Falcon or on, you know, a Star Destroyer or the Death Star and a little bit of Yavin. That's like your main point. Going to Empire and having these really gorgeous settings of Hoth, this completely snow planet, and then Dagobah, the swamp planet, and then Bespin, the city in the clouds. You could tell that they were like, we we got to explore other areas. There's obviously a big plot reason why they go back to Tatooine and Return of the Jedi. But I just really appreciate like of that time period, there's just something about these movies in the 70s and 80s where they do these realistic sets. They do, you know, real sets. And it just, it really pops more than, you know, uh, now nowadays I will say it is cool that now we've evolved into everything can look realistic and the CGI has matched to make it look all flawless together. It doesn't look like so like, op- like when we got to the prequels, it was so much CGI that sometimes you were like, it's too much CGI. We need to find Tyler a balance, <laughs> which is why the sequel trilogy looks the best, but story suffered the most. But there's something about this time period. I really love like, you know, Dagobah looks so cool. And Hoth is just like always been one of my favorite places because of it's just, it's very much like Tatooine. It's a desolate wasteland, but it's a snow planet instead of being a sand planet. Well, and it's it's perfect that you said that analogy. So we end with um, New Hope, and it's you know it just it it ends perfectly. You know you could end the series and like oh well you know left it left it hanging, but it's such a victorious thing. You know Chewie didn't get his medal, whatever he gets it later. Um, but it 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 ends in such a great epic fashion, and we're given enough nuggets that it's not like well if it ends you know whatever. But then we go into Empire, and it's so funny to think when when I saw that as a kid, it it's so dark. And you're talking about the '80s. There's something about the the kind of the creep factor and the '80s. You know, that was really a time. I think really in the '80s is when horror really started kind of coming to these horror horrific dark films. And Empire is that. It's just very bleak. Everything's not going well. And, you know, think about all these films that came around at the time, you know, 
there's dark horror, you know, there's co dark comedy, Gremlins, Temple of Doom. You're right. Just that time period, the time period of filming, had Empire been made today, it probably would not have the same atmosphere. Or if it had been made maybe before the 80s, it was just right around that turn. But yeah, I do. I love when you point it out. It was the turn. Yeah, it was the turn. It was the turn. I mean, it was. It came out in 1980. Um, prior to Temple of Doom, I think prior. I mean, I assume Gremlins came out at least a couple years later. Um, it, and and I mean, remember, you're coming out of the 70s where. You know, leading into, uh, uh, you know, Star Wars originally coming out, you had a lot of, you know, disaster movies. You had a lot of very bleak, like those very bleak disaster movies, the very bleak anti-hero um, movies. And so that was transition. And so you get that you start there and you transition into the 80s where in, starting with Star Wars, where it's like, OK, we don't we don't have to center this all at home. We don't have to center this all on Earth in a realistic setting. We can create new ways of creeping people out and we can create new ways of telling these dark stories and so that, i think that opened up the way for gremlins to be made for spielberg and lucas together to create what becomes temple of doom um and then of course we all also remember that george lucas didn't doesn't direct episode five he turns to his former professor from usc urban kirshner to take to take on uh, episode five empire strikes back uh, so he can focus on more pro producing and getting Lucasfilm and everything with and all the different companies that Lucas is starting. Because now he's like, I'm on the map. Let me, you know, start building my empire. For most people, Empire is the the best film of the Definitive series. Star Wars, exactly. Um, and I still stand by that. That's my favorite one of all of them. And I do think there's something about the darker story. I think they they put enough nuggets in the first film that you're like, okay, well, who is this kid? He's just starting his journey to become a Jedi, but he's really not done anything with it yet. And this guy that we thought was just in it for the money, he does come back in the end. So there's something about him. And clearly there's a, uh, there's some little nugget of, uh, you know, we don't know the Leia is Luke's sister yet. So it's like, well, is she going to end up with even know. the hero <laughs> end up with the rogue? Will they, um, won't they? We got stuff. our first, our yeah. first epic love triangle. Uh, but, but even then, you think of Darth Vader and, you know, this guy, I mean, when they designed Darth Vader and looking at some of that original, uh, you know, art that they were, you know, the concept art, he, he stands up as one of the, you know, ultimate villains in cinema history. And there's so much that I think even then people were like, we still don't really know much about this guy. You know, like there's there's so much they were like, we have to explore him as well. And so I think all those elements played into why they were like, well, if you look at the hero's journey, we were successful for chapter one. Then the hero has to take hits so that they ultimately can grow and in the end conquer and then save the day. And I think they did just enough in Empire where it's not it's not to the point where everyone like it's like, you know, oh, the Star, Star Wars isn't like brutal murder and like like at least not in your face. We didn't face. lose like, hope. Yeah, we didn't lose hope. We're very much like, oh, wow, uh, there's some big, you know, it's such the empire comes off as such a unstoppable force. It's a force to be re reckoned with this. And you're thinking for them oh, having, oh. you know, the good guys have the force. And although some of the bad guys do use the force as well, they have just soldiers everywhere. They have these huge killing machines. Oh, my God. Planet killer. There's so much that they have. And to think of everyone thought Darth Vader was the big bad guy. And then to find out, oh, there's someone that he bows down to. Yeah, that there is, worse. <laughs> there is the emperor. 
uh, was such a big like, oh, there's the man behind the curtain pulling the strings, you know, like Wizard of Oz. No one would pay attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> Something I really felt rewatching as much as I like Alec Guinness, and I think he he did a great job in you know that time, especially most of these actors were just starting their career. So they needed they needed someone that was, you know, very well known to get butts and seats yep. and established. Yep. And that usually is the case for the mentor role. But then to go into this character that is older than him, who is a puppet, you know, we're looking at the use of puppetry, which is so great, but establishing, oh, there's the wiser mentor that then our hero finds and is even deeper with the force and the way they did Yoda's speech that he talks everything out of order. And he's such a fun character. And, you know, you talked about CGI with certain characters we talked about with our prequel, how when they did CGI for Yoda, it actually worked better in episode two and three, because when they tried to do a younger puppet of Yoda, it was just a hot mess. It was terrible. Yeah. Yeah, It was like Instagram worthy versus reality. (laughs) But this version <laughs> of Yoda in two in uh, episodes five and six, there's just something I love so much about that puppetry work and the way it talks. And sometimes the eyes are like a little off, like it looks like a little, you know, his eyes are a little <laughs> crazy. And I'm like, but it totally works because he's supposed to be like over 900 years old. Um, so he would be a little old and rusty, but I love that character work they did with him. I thought it was it was fantastic. And having the fact that we introduced the Emperor and Yoda in the same movie and to see the history that's launched with them over different things has been really fun to see. Like they're on the same plane. It's the yin and yang right there, which is, which is perfect. Yeah. And, and really this was the first film, you know, they they do a little bit with Guinness in a new hope, but really spelling out that there is the dark side of the force and it's the same powers, but there's something that if you give in to hate, if you give in to fear, you will easily turn and you will have to, you know, him having to, Luke having to kind of discover that you could suffer the same fate as your father, I think is a very like bold thing that happens in five and six where he's like, and and just to talk about that, we of course have known this for so many years of our life because we saw these when we were kids. To think no one before seeing Empire Strikes Back unless there was maybe people doing fan theories back then, who knows? No one saw that coming. One of the biggest twists in cinema. In cinema history. It's crazy. Like now it's just like something we know, but I'm like, imagine being in the movie theater and him, no, I am your father. And the theater just erupted. <laughs> Dude! Yeah. Faces became like yeah. the mummy, you yeah. know, like Imhotep and went, oh. <laughs> yep. Yep. Till this day. And it's so funny going back to interviews, um, that Mark Hamill, like he couldn't tell anyone. He's like, listen, George knows, I know, and now you know. And anyone else does, we know you spilled it. So like, you know, he didn't tell Harrison, he didn't tell, and how the original line in the script, you know, I, I love that. And the thing is like, kid, you didn't tell me anything. And the whole original line was, Obi-Wan killed your father. And he was like, when he read that, it was like, it was the pilot, you know, the like fake script. Can you imagine that still would have been a pretty good twist? Cause I would have been like, what? Yeah. This old man? Um, and uh, I just to think like, you know, that I still watch it, I still get chills when you go and watch the first one and the other one kind of back to back and you kind of see that it's it's so great. Um, but talking about 
you know, the enhancements of this one. There was some really great stuff because they added some scenes in that that were great. And we're talking about the Hoth. I just, I love the the Wampa scene where they actually, you can see it coming before where it was just implied. I wanted to see the whole creature. And I still love when they added it when it wasn't just a hand, you know, or a yeah, face yeah. mask. <laughs> yeah. No, I and I definitely thought I definitely thought that as I'm as I was watching that scene and my rewatch of these despecialized is that okay, it like and like I said, er, like I said earlier, there were things that I now realize. You know what? It enhances the movie going experience. It enhances the movie watching experience for sure. So and that that is absolutely one of them. The way that um, adding extra like a couple of extra shots of the town of Cloud City as Lando is saying, you know, attention, everybody evacuate. So you see the more of the citizens reaction or like the CGI and the windows where you could see more of the outside of the city. Just how vast it is. That's one thing I think, you know, we we see when they're flying in, you know, Hans, you know, come and see my my buddy Lando and. And they're being, you know, landed in and you see in the distance and there's that gorgeous music that will, you know, we'll get back to John Williams, of course, but that kind of haunting angelic, like, what, what is this? And then they start flying over it and you're like, holy crap, this place is huge. Like, it's like massive. Yeah. Um, And it's so weird that that planet. And I mean, I don't know if, if Bespin's been explored on things. I'm sure it has, but it always made me laugh to think that there's this giant cloud city and there's just this giant city, like, you know, this cloud planet and the city floating. And I'm like, are there other cities on the planet or is it just that one in the middle? Like, I remember I didn't get that as a kid. I always didn't realize that was a planet. I think at one point I really didn't. I was like, where the hell did they go? I just, I, I think at one point I probably didn't say hell, but I was like, what's going well, on? I'm like, here? if you were to fall, do you just fall forever and then you're in space or is there other, like, it's confusing. Uh, especially because it's like this is a mining colony. You're like, so where? Are you, what are you what mining? Are they mining? Where are the mining? Mine? Clouds? <laughs> You're mining for water? Um, <laughs> but those little nuggets where they're trying to imply that again, this is a you know, for a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, we look at Star Wars and we really, really see it more as a universe with multiple systems. Multi, you know, they call it systems, not planets. And there's these multiple different. You know, there's the outer rim. There's this, 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 but. Each thing has its kind of like, what what is that planet for? What's the job there? Does it fit into the empire? Is it out of the empire? Who are the rebels? There's so much they have to kind of give without without going like heavily into like, we're going to knock you over the head with like who these people are. And even looking like empire, you look at, they do enough of the lore of just that planet in a very small time. Like we get, oh, you can't go out at night. This place would freeze you to death. There are these characters that we can ride to get around. There's abominable snowman that live there that can eat you. You go to Dagobah. Oh, it's swamp. There's just, you know, heavy swamp. Who knows what else lives on Dagobah? We'll never find out. Um, and then getting to, yeah, this city in the clouds. And then you look at uh, Return of the Jedi. We go back to Tatooine in a whole other area. So it's like, oh, that's kind of <laughs> cool. And you think, well, it's a big ass planet. I'm sure there's other things. But then to go to the mood of Endor and have this gorgeous looking, you know, forest planet, uh, well, moon, and seeing these new creatures, the Ewoks, and, and seeing like they, they kept trying to make something new while having the narrative still be, or following Luke Han and Leia trying to take over and, and defeat, you know, the Vader and the Emperor. And Vader, Vader, to what, um, you know, he was intimidating in New Hope or Star Wars, but 
he's just so brutal and so terrifying in this movie. I mean, he's killing his men left and right if they're not doing their job. Uh, it's like, you know, Empire, you don't have a maybe long, long career, uh, uh, early retirement. Um, but, and then just like that, that whole scene, that one of the best lightsaber battles um, because it's just so brutal. And it's just like, I mean, he is just like, I just love the part, you are beaten, it is useless. And he's just like, dude, I'm tired of this shit. And I'm like, it's like, you know, I'm just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, can you take this guy? And he's, then at one point he's throwing stuff with his mind powers and you're like, yeah. what kind of powers <laughs> does this guy have? I always loved that the, 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 um, the officers of the empire were always like, we don't care about your magic and your spells. Your wizarding ways are done. And then just like starts getting choked. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> and Grand Albert Tarkin's like, let him go. Yeah. He's like, oh. it's like, this could not be the first guy that's been choked in front of Vader. Like there's, there's a clear reason why every soldier that he talks to, it, they're just nervous as hell. Cause they know one bad thing I say, I'll be next. Um, and to think of having a whole character that you never see his face until the very end and why James Earl Jones was such a smart choice of we need a menacing voice. If all you're going to go see with this height, this, yeah, you're just going to see this facade of this character with that helmet and, you know, the breathing, you got to have something. And that was a smart choice because originally they had the guy who was in the suit voicing them, and it sounded like some. Uh, Prowse, yeah. I, I need to yeah. find the. He plan. was like Bane. Oh, Batman! Look, <laughs> <laughs> um, and man, to think how iconic that's become, James Earl Jones uh, as this role. To think Mufasa and Vader, these iconic voice roles that he's provided, and this one is just legendary. And so we're, uh, you know, we're, we're going to find out at some point. But I really do hope that. Um, James Earl Jones is back to voice Vader for this uh, Obi-Wan series, which I'm sure he will be. Even though he did sound a little old in Rogue One, but continue. <laughs> he, he, yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, and I do feel to, to a certain extent, I do feel for David Prowse because, you know, all accounts is that he didn't know that that was going to happen. He was never told that he, that he wasn't going to be the voice, nor was he told that he wasn't going to be the face of Vader in Return of the Jedi, the face of Anakin at the end. They, he found out, I think I remember like either watching a documentary or reading about how he found out on the day because he happened to look at a separate call. He looked at all the call sheets and another one had Sebastian Shaw, Anakin and, you know, and, and Luke and Mark, you know, over in that while he's doing something with Vader somewhere else. And he's like, Oh, well, what the hell? <laughs> Who's that guy? <laughs> Movies are important to, to get things right. And maybe they just saw something that he wouldn't fit the exact yeah you know and and being that this is the moment where you know lucas was looking at well if we're finally revealing his face in this whole this whole third chapter really spells out the relationship between luke and and vader and why eventually he he does turn on his master and, and there is that last bit of good in him and he is saved in the end there probably was something they were like maybe Proust had something that he he would look a little more menacing and they did kind of want like I because it is it does kind of take you back a little bit not you know not if you've never seen you know this is pre knowing that any prequels are going to happen there is something about that ending when uh when the mask is revealed and are taken off that he does look like a very gentle man like you're like 
this this guy doesn't look like he would have grown up. Yeah, yeah. And murdered all these people. Like he looks very like calm and, and but just, just that look when he does that when he just like looks at him and he just has that little smile. It's yeah, I I, I agree. Just I thinking about that, Chris, that's perfect because I remember how I just you get a little sad because you're like, he's just this gentle soul that was trapped here. And then his Luke gets to see his father just briefly. Is 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 yeah. It's a, it's an interesting scene because it's one of those there's always scenes in movies where you're like, I really wish that character didn't have to die because now this could have been like, imagine obviously there's probably millions of people around the galaxy that hate Vader because of yeah. what he's become. But <laughs> hey, it's my dad. You're sitting on trial. Yeah, to Work show works. that every you know everyone everyone has you know uh, uh you know everyone should have as we've talked about many times, you and I, Tim, of like, you know, people in our society, the way that we tend to work or how it should be working is you, there should be a chance for you to rehabilitate yourself to become a better person. Mm -hmm. That's what our, that's what our prison systems are supposed to be like. So there could have been a world where Vader had been taken off planet and he stripped himself of all he was because he was turned into that, you know, he was manipulated by the dark side, but he does have to die in the end. But it is one of the things where it's like Luke kind of has to accept that like that was maybe fate that he was he was put in this path to take you know to get his dad to come back to the light um and all that's so powerful when you look at the rest of what the films have with these funny characters and we're gonna we'll take a break and we'll get back to all the side characters that make this this whole galaxy so fun but that powerful line of really from the first film through to that of Luke's journey from almost turning to the dark and then in the end being like, I'll, 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 if I can't get you, I'll get your sister. Well, that's it. And then just going, going crazy just going on his ham. dad, but not killing him. You know, I love that. Yeah. And how, and how they really sig how they signified that journey for Luke through a, through one simple costume change, one little simple thing he's wearing all black the entire movie and i mean obviously you believe he's a jedi you believe he's a good person he's helping the rebel alliance but when you get to that point he's all black all black all black on you know his clothing and then after that moment after he throws away his lightsaber when he says stands up the emperor's like you failed i'm a jedi like my father before me and then gets attacked by the emperor at that point one of the the lapel of the front of his shirt Pot comes open and from that point on you see that underneath there's the light gray and it's like oh he's he was there was no he was a good all, all the time he was never going to change but you die. don't know that until no, that no, moment I just, and the emperor's just looking at him so like damn it i thought i had this one you <laughs> will bring me a banana because i have chimpanzee eyes well you know what guys <laughs> let's take a quick break and we'll come back talking more about the original trilogy of Star Wars. The director of Star Wars and American Graffiti brings you to a little place on a desert planet in a one bantha town in a galaxy far, far away. Where there might be a bounty on your head. And where everyone knows your name. No droids allowed. Introducing the intergalactic bar comedy sitcom Cantina. Hey there, welcome to Cantina. What'll it be for you? I'll just have the usual. Put it on my tab. Ah, well, here you go. Hey, wanna hear a joke? What did Darth Vader say 
when he walked into a vegetarian restaurant. I find your lack of steak disturbing. <laughs> Get it? No? Okay, uh, how about another one? Here's this one here. Hey, Warher. Get me and Chewy two doubles. <laughs> Sorry. Make mine a double. Get him a double and a single. Jeez, I got it, I got it. Will you watch it? You're getting your fur on the floors. We just vacuumed in here. Well, 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 Dr. Avazan and Panda Baba, my favorite troublemakers. We're just simple men making our way through Mos Eisley, one drink at a time. <laughs> yes, yeah, we all know about the death sentences on what is 11 systems. It's 12! Oh, sorry. So sorry, my mistake. What exactly are you a doctor of? Podiatry. Check out the hilarious space sitcom that's got the whole galaxy talking. Cantina. Own all ten seasons on Blu-ray. Welcome back to Inside the Actors Studio. I'm your host, James Lipton. Tonight, our students will be gifted by not one, but two of the greatest performers ever to grace the silver screen. From a galaxy far, far away, please welcome the actors who play C-3PO and R2-D2, Anthony Daniels and Kenny Baker. Hello, gentlemen. It's so good to see you in person. Ah, thank you, James. Our pleasure. Good to see you, James. You star in the new film by creative genius George Lucas, Star Wars, which can only be described as the most thrilling theatrical experience of the millennium. In the film, you are a pair of droids whose comedic timing rivals that of the greats. Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy, Cheech and Chong, Rogan and Franco, just to name a few. How did you prepare for your galactic roles? C-3PO is not just some bumbling buffoon. He's the smartest character, really. He's the butler in the murder mystery that knows who did the crime before everyone else did. So I actually wasn't playing it for comedy. I saw him as a, a desperate encyclopedia with legs on the verge of utter chaos. A real cry for help. You just... Elevated the movie to a new level no mortal man has ever reached. What about you, Kenny? Well, I was hired for my height, or lack of it, and I actually didn't have any lines. I didn't make any of the sounds. I am flabbergasted. You didn't make any of those delightful noises? No, no, that was all the sound department. I mostly turned the head and when they needed. It was a fairly easy job. Easy to some. And yet, to the untrained eye, a mastery of puppetry that hasn't been seen since 1942's military romp, Tanks on Parade. Now, in Star Wars, there is a great deal of action. Did you have to train? The suit I wear is very difficult to act in, of course, and so many pieces and 
cogs and wheels, if you will, and long shots in the desert all day. Conditions were miserable, so any type of running and dodging was utterly exhausting. This is before Zumba, mind you. Again, I mostly just rolled in the R2 unit, so I didn't really, didn't really take much training. But I agree, it got very hot in that suit all day. Every moment left me on the edge of my seat. Your roles in the film have sparked a debate of a possible romance, a relationship that is more than just friends. Are these droids meant for each other? I don't know if you can call it romance, but at times it does feel like they are a married couple. <laughs> he doesn't shut up and I end up doing all the work. Sounds like a marriage, all right. Oh, oh. You two are a delight. Now, before you leave us, we have some of our favorite questions. Anthony, what turns on C-3PO? The odds. Riveting. Kenny, what is R2-D2's favorite curse word? Boop-pop-beep-boop. Ooh, saucy. What sound or noises does C-3PO hate? Any type of danger or battle. Mesmerizing. What profession? Other than his own, would R2-D2 attempt? I think he'd make a great DJ. And he would throw a party that would rival the opening ceremony at the Winter Olympics. And finally, gentlemen, if heaven exists, what do you want God to say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I've got a bad feeling about this. Splendid. Original. The two of you are legends in the making on a level that could one day lead to the Oscars. Now, we are all curious if George Lucas will make any more Star Wars films, and if so, may the world be forever better for it. Thank you to our guests, Anthony Daniels and Kenny Baker, stars who shine brighter than the suns in a galaxy far, far away. This has been Inside the Actors' Studio, I'm your host, James Lipton. Good night. And we're back talking about the original trilogy of Star Wars. Now, okay, look, again, there's so much you could talk about because there's so much of this original trilogy, but I do want to go into a couple of these side characters that really do make the series, three of which have become just as iconic as the lead characters and have showed up in more movies than most characters. Uh, first, we got to <laughs> talk about our two lovable droids, C-3PO and R2-D2. This was a very smart choice, I think, too, to have, you need to have like the comedic, there, there had to be a little bit of comedy element um, in there, especially because again, these are designated as like family sci-fi fantasy films. But to have this character that won't shut up and a character that only does beeps and boops, but is adorable, and that they're kind of this funny, it's very like Abbott and Costello style humor between the two of them was very funny. And I think that was a, a choice where you're looking at, especially sci-fi movies, and it's like, well, you have to have the one character that kind of knows everything that is like the smart, that can kind of, but the bumbling idiot butler that's going to get you out of situations without knowing it. And man, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO is... Um, there's a reason why he's done it so many times. Clearly, it's like, you know, that is his character and they've used that role in so many things. It's just so fun. It's so fun to see his brand of humor and then the way to do R2-D2 with these beeps and boops and 
the crazy things that R2 can do, uh, I think has always been a fun thing that's been explored throughout the, uh, the films where it's always like C-3PO is, pers- is supposed to be the one to get them out of something. And then the last second, it's always R2-D2 to the rescue because he's R2, you know? Um, and I, I actually just finished reading Anthony Daniels' memoir about being C-3PO. Um, you know, a lot, lot, I mean, there are some stories in there I already, I already knew. There's a lot of new stuff. Like he goes into like the first fitting that they did and, you know, the process of getting his body casted. So they had the right dimensions for creating it and going all the way through. But the other, the other thing to keep in mind with Anthony, uh, Anthony Daniels playing C-3PO is that the only time in, in Kenny Baker, who is known as R2, yep. Mm -hmm. was R2-D2. The only time that Kenny, the only times that Kenny Baker was on set and in R two D two was when R two D two was on its two legs, and like back and forth, and maybe shifting his head back and forth. Every other time, like if you ever see R two on his three legs rolling somewhere, or flipping, or you know putting it out, going up, whatever, Kenny Baker's not in there. So on top of the fact that a lot that Kenny Baker's not there, so Anthony Daniels is acting to just this random thing trash that's moving with wheels <laughs> trash bin with wheels he's also acting against no sound because all of that sound was added by ben burt in post-production um and so like in going back and look and like you watch anthony daniel's performance and he always in very much within the entire memoir he kind of laments that for those first few films you know and for a long time after for a fairly long time after a lot of people didn't realize that it was a guy in a suit and that he always felt a little slighted a little you know away from the limelight because nobody knew that it was him and nobody you know he, he wasn't you know it wasn't a star he wasn't one of the starring so and so as this he didn't get that title card until empire strikes back um but he did create a character around around a lot of challenges from how the costume fit how he was barely able to move in it it was there you know the claustrophobia at times would get to him getting in and out of it was a a hassle and acting acting against an inanimate object and trying to leave space so that there's enough space for you know for the beeps and boops to happen plus sometimes not even be able to be heard because he's trying, he's saying all those lines through the costume that again gets, you know, ADR at the end. But like, you know, what? What did you say, Tony? Or, you know, like, are people people forgetting that he was in the suit and just like, was like, all right, we're going on break. Bye. And Tony's like, ah, uh, yeah. guys. <laughs> it's a thing nowadays where all that is so much better handled. But, you know, of the time period, they had to work with what they could. And it's kind of incredible to even think that they were like, we're not just going to put a stunt guy in there. And you'll just be the voice actor for the role. They really, there's something kind of fun about, they were like, do you want to be in the suit and you want to create this character? And he was, you know, he was game for it. So. Yeah. And they were, they were looking, they, George auditioned so many different people to voice him. They were, it was going to be just Anthony Daniels in the suit and somebody else voiced him. He was going to do like a David Prowse kind of thing. Kind of. Yeah. But then some, some voice actor was like, you know, you know, Tony's really good. He's doing a voice really well. I think you should just use his voice. Was that Christopher Walken? You sounded like Christopher Walken for a second. You know, the guy. I didn't get Han Solo, but (laughs) take care of my guy. (laughs) The casting Um, director. Yeah, and then and then you know the the just like but like reading his story from when he first went at the audition, he saw that painting of C three PO by Ralph McQuarrie that just like 
lasered him in the eyes and was like, you are mine now forever kind of a thing. Come to me. And that, and just, and then his journey for the last 45 plus, for the last 45 years, plus years, he has played C-3PO in like everything, the holiday special, the Christmas album, video games, little shorts, the Donnie and Marie Osmond show. I mean, he loves this character and he feels that he is very much the custodian of these, of the, of his character. Which I love because, you know, you do have to tell, you know, it, it seems probably, it probably seemed then it felt like a gamble, but obviously it's paid off uh, very much. So, you know, he's a very uh, well-off man now because of that character. Um, but apart from our two droids that are, uh, have shown up in most of the Star Wars films and are so fun, and it's always fun to see like the other droids that they create or make throughout the series um, that, you know, are like, there's other R, not you know, not R2 units, but like R4 and stuff like that. It's just fun to see other versions of droids, but those two just iconic with the gold that C-3PO has and the way they designed R2 with all the, the blue and the silver. It's just like, you can't beat that. But also we have the character of Chewbacca uh, with, you know, Han coming in, the smuggler and his, his Wookiee partner, this giant looking bear thing that uh, is very fun to watch and very powerful and doesn't speak any English, just has these roars and stuff. Peter Mayhew, this, you know, tall British actor giving life to this character and playing Chewbacca for quite a long time. That is another one that people just absolutely love because he comes off, he does come off like the teddy bear character, you know, until we meet the Ewoks. But I love that they set up like, well, uh, if you don't let him win, he might tear your arm off. Like we get the Wookiees are very powerful from an early point in the film and him with that crossbow. And like, he has like the armor thing across his chest, like the, am- the ammo, the ammo, the belt, ammo, yeah. you know, there's just a cool thing about Chewbacca that I think people have always loved. And even when they, when they started to explore other Wookiees and the prequels and other things, there's some cool looking ones. And, you know, we just had a new one pop up in Boba Fett, but Nothing beats Chewbacca. He's just always been fun to watch. And especially the pairing with him and Harrison Ford, another actor that you look at nowadays and you, you see the relationship that Harrison Ford has had with Star Wars as a whole. Again, he, he's so thankful because it set up so much of his career. Um, and so he, he owes a lot to it, but I can see why sometimes he gets a little, a little off about certain fandoms. But to see this actor that also had to work mostly off of this guy in a suit just going and their comedy is very funny i mean actually peter they there were lines that chewbacca said that that's true peter mayhew was was supposed to talk originally and i'm so glad that they cut that and they made him just (laughs) yeah because i don't think it would have (laughs) worked i i I agree with you but at least at least they were they knew what he was saying so that they could like write the dialogue yeah 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 well yeah that that, yeah it's it and that could have really messed with it really badly whereas like yoda we're talking about how he looked so you know it could have come off as jokey and stuff but it was you're so fascinated this pop, basically it's a muppet in space um you know but yeah well that would have been a bad choice but it's still like and that's funny because chewbacca and wookies that's one of the most iconic things that even if you don't like or never seen star wars you know what a wookie sounds like you know that wookie noise which is just so funny yeah you've you've, you've seen chewbacca because the, the pop culture element that these characters have you know popped up in minus just the film themselves you know commercials and like i said video games they've been in multiple shows and they pop up in things there's people know it so well 
The other one I want to bring up is because of like of our main cast, uh, him coming in an Empire and kind of becoming the last big uh, team member there for uh, Return of the Jedi is Billy D. Williams as Lando is such a fun role. We get a taste of Han as this smuggler character and thinking, oh, there might be another one that's similar to him. But man, just rewatching it, that first scene, you're, you're first like, who is this guy? He seems like a not trustworthy. And the way he's like, he's like, <laughs> hey, you know, Pyro, you know? So it's like, oh, they're like friends. They're just, you know, they're old buddies. And then the immediate thing when he looks at Leia and he goes, what do we have here? Like, oh. <laughs> Hello, what like, here? You old you smoothie. smoothie. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love, I think Billy D is so fun in that role. And and that was a fun like thing to add in that there's a little bit of history there of like, oh, Han won the Millennium Falcon from Lando. And obviously those nuggets that were explored in Solo. But, but I like that his character goes to the arc of he had to make personal choices because of his people that gives up Han, which is such a huge like, this smuggler has now you know giving up his life basically for everything that's going on and then how he redeems it and return the jedi to save han to take the falcon to destroy the death star to like there's so many great character choices they did with that character without making it they didn't choose return of the jedi to be like let's keep him flirty and trying to win over leia they just have him be what he's good at which is you know he's also a very good pilot so i love billy d in that role i think that was a a fun addition to our ultimate cast for, for our, our leads and our side characters. But there's something about Star Wars just fun. There's all these like little mini characters, you know, there's, there's aliens walking around, there's, you know, creatures every now, there's droids. They, they do try to keep it very like eye poppy when you're not just focusing on our main characters. And I think that's something they've, they've continued to explore in all the things that I think even like, I'm always fascinated by like these ships that they've built whether they're models or CGI and just you look at like the Death Star and you kind of think when you see it from far away, you're like, oh, it's a big sphere. I get it. It's a big, you know, it looks like a globe and it has a little, you know, then when they like go closer in, you're like, who took the time to think of all these little divots and all the little things that they have? Like, it's so thought out that sometimes it makes my brain hurt to think how they create these planets and these worlds and these ships. Um, it's fascinating. And you did bring up Taylor about the lightsabers. The lightsaber has become one of the most iconic weapons in pop culture and entertainment. Everyone wants to have one, you know, everyone it, does it, the voice. Uh, does everyone the knows voice. how to do the sound effects. Yeah. And it was something that they, they didn't do a lot with in episode four and to see how it would grow, become faster, uh, more intense, more brutal. And clearly that has, you know, we saw how the prequels handled lightsabers and we were all like, oh, like that's become more eye candy for us. That's something that we look forward to now is like, we want to see very intense events, but the, the lightsaber itself to use the, the, you know, the samurai sword of space is so cool. Like just the coolest thing. And anyone tries to use a lightsaber in another medium, it's a light sword or something. You're like, no, it's a lightsaber. Just give it up lightsabers are the coolest weapon and nothing's gonna beat it okay <laughs> it's funny a funny thing about um you know in, in, in the entirety we talked about empire and how you know great it was and for all intents and purposes return of the jedi it's a great conclusion but it's interesting you know going back and watching that and just some of the choices made for some of the characters i think you know what they did with luke and everything was great but you know i i really think they did han's character dirty it's like you know when you a character is very consistent 
And I go back and watch him like, what happened to this character? They just made him like this goofball, you know? And it was a, uh, it was certain things that I don't know if you guys noticed this that I felt felt like they kind of, they kind of changed the swagger of Han Solo where he was a little bit more of the f- buffoon in this one than kind of the the had you know a little bit more of a the swagger, you know? It might have something to do with the Ewoks as a whole. Uh, taking that choice, which I still think the Ewoks are are a fun addition and. Um, I do too. If you look into the lore of the Ewoks, they're actually really messed up. Like they would do some. Yeah. Like I think the problem is they didn't want to go as dark with the Ewoks as they could. Well, and originally it was going to be the Wookies. They were originally going to use Wookies. It was going to. It was supposed to be on Kashyyyk, and then they. I think probably budgetary reasonings. They probably needed to cut down on the size of the costumes, or something. I don't know. Um. <laughs> Which I mean, that that doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm sure that, those, that's we're, a lot we're, of we're not cheap. Here. Yeah, it's a lot of yak hair, and, yeah. and you're thinking, oh man, I have to do seven foot tall costumes for <laughs> well, how many fifty yeah, extras? Well, well, you make Tom Cru- you make Tom Cruise look tall. You know, we can do that with yeah. other people. Well, <laughs> hey, you brought up one of the biggest you brought up one of the biggest characters of all, Chris, earlier that we got to talk about. That what also sets this you know series, this original trilogy, apart than anything is John Williams and that amazing score. The first time we heard that opening credit song. And all of the music and the whole, all the films. It's it's just, there's nothing, I mean, there's very, there's so many iconic scores out there. But think about the first time you're in theaters, that every time you go see a Star Wars film now, you're ready for that, okay, ready? Ready to get blown away by those speakers? And it, it, it never, I'm never ready for it. It's always just, and to think then, okay, we've got the opening credit score, which is iconic in all the films. And then we go into Empire, we get the Imperial March, which they're both like synonymous with some of the best music and that Vader theme. Well, I just love that every character has a theme. Like he thought of a Leia theme. He thought of a theme for Luke. They're, yeah, the music, it's almost like if you would have watched these movies and there was no music, it would not make you feel the same as, you know, as watching with. And although I will stand by that one of my favorite pieces of music he ever wrote for Star Wars is Duel of the Fates. Nothing has really compared to what he did for that original trilogy because it just, it's fun. And like, there's little things too. I love, like, I love the music when the droids are just in the desert. That's like, bum, bum, yeah. it's kind mm-hmm. of mystical. And like, you're kind of like, okay, we're like in the desert. And like, you're like, well, okay, I've, I've gone to the desert before, but this, it makes it a fantasy desert. You're like, I don't know what's going on. There could be anything around the corner and like the jaw was showing up and it's a little creepy and a little weird. And then the music that plays when, when they finally escape the Death Star and they do that first big battle with the, the, the couple of TIE fighters, it's just so like fanfare and iconic. And like, I think John Williams did it, you know, for him being such a lover of these horns and like that classic orchestra style, it works so well for Star Wars because although it's a movie set in the future, clearly because of all the technology they have, you really do feel like you're watching something from the past. It's like a long time ago and a far, far away. You know, I do feel like it's a long time ago, even though it's clearly more technology than we have currently in our you know time. And I love that. I love that about so much, how much the music plays into getting your emotions involved in this. You, you love when the heroes win. You love when the villains are scary. You love when there's a little bit of creepiness in there. Um, it's just, yeah, it was so iconic for it. Yeah, and and with John John Williams, you know, starting starting off with Spielberg on Jaws in, in the mid '70s, and 
the this idea of bringing back a full like a, a fully symphonic orchestral score was you know again a new a thing that lucas was lucas and spielberg were starting to bring back to the movie because it, everything had kind of shifted away from that um and you're right chris it brings this grandness to these vistas to the you know it makes it a mystical desert it makes it a very like creepy jungle like what could happen you know the the music that is used on dagobah um as he's going around and you know goes into the cave and fights vader um or his vision of fighting vader um john williams sets the mood and sets the tone so well and especially you know um the one i always think of because i've seen it on that empire of dreams um documentary so many times because when they talked about um the music with john they show him the part of what the scene that they show him scoring is when the X-Wings are about to go down into the trench. And so they're like doing that big flip over and it's like, bah, 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 bah. it's like, it's just like the way that the, da, 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 da. it was just like, and watching that with, it, it adds so much to what would just be like to today in many respects, it'd be like, if it were Hans Zimmer, Hans Zimmer is a great, great, great composer, but he does a lot of, he does a lot and he does a lot of weird sounds to create his recordings and but we, i mean without john williams you don't get to where hans zimmer is today with or with or with with cinematic scores and he and the man is known for so many different pieces of music and different so many different scores for all these adventure movies and all and also these very dramatic movies it's there's not there, there's there's not enough words in the in there's not enough words in the world to explain how essential John Williams score is to Star Wars and its longevity. You put a different you put a you know random score in there that's not John Williams and I don't think it goes as far as I'm going to try to test I don't that out. Think that. I'm going to find out how that works. <laughs> well, I love like nowadays with with trailers we're having this uh you know we're taking themes from the original trilogy, like when they did, you know, I think we talked about the the sequel series that although the movies uh, hold up in a different way for fans, depending on whether you like or, or don't like them, the trailers were so good. And a lot of it was because they took themes from the original trilogy and they did them in like a different weird way. And they like did a mashup and it was like, oh, I remember that theme. and know that theme. And so it, it instantly hits you with nostalgia, uh, which is why I like, you know, we got Obi-Wan coming out this week and in the trailer, it was a little bit of like, it kind of sounds a little bit like I'm tattooing from before. And then all of a sudden they blast you with Duel of the Fates and you're like, oh my gosh. And this makes you think like, that's such a big part of, you know, why we're so connected to it. And it's true. Everyone knows the theme to Star Wars. I don't think you can go to someone around the world and don't know, you know, like it's just yeah. everyone oh, knows Star Wars. But it's funny you say that. I remember the first time, I don't know if this was that had happened, but the first time they ever used like, maybe some themes from the original was remember uh, revenge of the Sith that first kind of teaser trailer and you have like little clips and like through a thousand generations, you have Alec Guinness and you had that theme and that's what, that's why they do it because it's just so powerful and so iconic that it just, it fills you that sense of wonder that you, and that's just a testament to us. You know, we're 30 year old guys who love this, this series from the originals to, you know, we cherry pick the sequel trilogy. I think we've had more appreciation for the prequel trilogy but it's just something about that. When we hear that, when we talk about it, it just brings us back that childlike wonderment. That That's a testament to the series that 
we can watch this a million times and we still get enjoyment every every single time. Yeah, it's gonna be a series I'll watch, you know, for the rest of my life. To my grandkids, it's, it's gonna be it, that is gonna be it's gonna be a fun <laughs> thing to think of. Like, my dad got me into Star Wars. You know, he was the one to probably put on at some point. And then when I have kids, starting to show them Star Wars and hope that they like it as much as I do, and see if they, you know, I mean, they'll be forced, but no, just kidding. But um, <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Like there, there is a big generational thing now with Star Wars that like you see, like <laughs> it's kind of weird to think that there are kids out there that they probably don't say the original trilogy. They say, oh, that prequel trilogy to Ray's story. And as much as like for us, it's kind of like, how dare you? I'm like, but that's what they know. You know, for some kids, the sequel trilogy of, of Ray and Kylo Ren, all that, that is their Star Wars. That's what they're young enough to have watched. And so if they go back and watch old ones, I'm curious, like, how they think about it. Because some kids nowadays, they're so used to all the eye candy movies we have because CGI is so good and the money they put into movies that they might watch these and go like, I don't know, it seems a little old. And that's that's fair. That's an opinion you, know, you have. But for us, we're always going to have a love for the OG trilogy that started it all because of the story, the way they created things where they had to make choices with again models sets costumes everything it's just really fun to think of yeah if star wars had originated if if the first movie came out now it would look much more polished and everything than back then but i like a little bit of that it's not 100 percent polished and it makes it very real and gritty for me yeah but but i but at the same time i think that's what I going back to what you know we were talking about uh, near the beginning of the episode, uh, or when we're talking about the, the special editions and the updates and the upgrades of graphics and everything, that's where I all that's where I think that as much as much hate as George has gotten, that is what has helped the original trilogy to appeal to the newer generations, so that they don't immediately think this looks old. Will help. It's helped elevate it for sure, and it's helped to connect and weave all these stories together that we've got you know nine films but we also have you know canon tv shows both animated and live action that it just it makes more sense and just adds to the world building that you're saying but also like to your point chris think about this that you know now we've got so many spoilers that you know that iconic line you know i'm your father you know everyone knows that so it's always trying to be like you know who without seeing star wars would already know already know this so it's still like that those little bit of like nuggets um, of like story that yeah it's just too cool and I, I I love that idea of introducing it to new generations that I hope when I have kids I do that and hopefully they'll like it uh, if not you and I all three of us on the phone our kids didn't like it we failed there is a fun uh, if you go on YouTube you can watch it uh, you can find clips of new fans for the first time finding out that Darth Vader is Luke's father oh, like that's watching great. the scene. And sometimes it's kids that like, they're not even like kids. Like they could be like 13, 15, like whatever. But it is really funny when you see kids that are like four or five years old that understand enough of the story and they're sitting there going like, he's lying, right? Like clearly he's lying, which that's the thing too, is yeah, I think when that movie came out and he said that line, it was such a big cliffhanger because it wasn't hundred percent confirmed. We didn't know that Yoda is going to tell him in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, he is your father. And that was three years later. It was in 1980 you walk out of the theater and go what just happened before before internet you can speculate yeah it's just yeah it's crazy to think that we're 
we're coming up here to the 45th anniversary of that first film coming out and to think of how much star wars has changed pop culture the entertainment and uh and where it'll go from here you know this is we're at an interesting time now with star wars where we're we're getting a lot of tv which is great but uh gonna be interesting to see where they go next with the films and also with the video and with the video games as we're seeing as well and talk about games i gotta give a shout out i will admit here nerd level you know to the extreme i collected the well i didn't collect because i opened them so they're they're not they're useless but i had the action figures till i was 15 but i did do the sweepstakes and i got this it's still in its case one day it'll be worth something it's george lucas in stormtrooper disguise it's got his mask off and i have the same one yes <laughs> i have the same one i found it i found it like at anaheim comic con oh yeah it's, like it's collecting five, dust it's hidden away but that's that's going to be the collectible yeah. collectibles. what that, a bunch I, of I'm nerds not, no, <laughs> how dare you <laughs> well hey I'm just, I'm just ho- hoping that at some point you guys can't see this on the podcast. But I'm hoping that my Lego A-wing maybe gets to be worth something at some point. <laughs> someday. Yeah, none you of you can know. see this. It's, yeah. you know, but they, but, but Chris and Taylor can, and they, they seem as impressed. I will just make sure we have this clip on social, so people just for just, yeah. I want to screenshot this for proof. Tim can be. Someone's gonna write we'll, in. We'll, I don't believe him. We'll put a screenshot in the comments, right? Yeah. yeah, that's how this works. Well, Tim, we thank you for once again coming on the podcast to talk Star Wars. Uh, I know we're all three very excited to see how this Obi-Wan series pans out. So I'm sure we'll be talking to you real soon about uh, what happens with our good old Kenobi series. And, but, and potentially uh, have you on the review for that one because, you know. Oh, you know, that's, that's what I meant. That's... Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm to be a nerd, but I'm not one smart. Day, one day we're just going to have another person pop on, and Tim's going to be like, Who's that guy? He's going to walk in. He's going to walk in on the pot. What's going on here, guys? You're not Ron. Um, but anyway, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you both for having me on. It's always a pleasure to yeah. uh, chat with some of my favorite podcasting hosts about well, one of my absolute favorite things. We appreciate it. But uh, yeah, to you, our listeners enjoy uh star wars again you can find it in so many different formats but obviously all the films are available currently on disney plus and we're happily celebrating the 45th anniversary of a new hope coming out this week star wars so until next time may the force be with you always thanks for listening to the potential podcast you can follow us on instagram and facebook at the potential podcast or on twitter at the potential pod Or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email, thepotentialpodcast at yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdom. And remember, know know your your potential. potential.